My partner beside me was still frozen in shock. We started pulling his rope as fast as we could. With another sickening flick, I saw another rope whip down. Our friend was alone, some 150 feet above the ledge with 1,300 feet of dead air below him. I screamed telling him the ropes were cut. They were panicking, unable to understand me. I told him to put in a piece of protection and stay there. More panicking, yelling. Then my partner beside me woke up from the stupor. We kept yelling. We kept trying to make him understand. There were some screams, some loud noises, some noes. Then suddenly, in slow motion, I saw him turn, strike an outcropping, roll mid-air, fall for another short eon, and then I saw his face. A sick, twisted, horror mask of fear, pain, and sorrow. It's a look I imagine I won't soon forget. With a peculiar smack and what may be the most meaningless coincidence of my life, he struck a stout little tree several feet from me and landed in a bundle of cactus. He screamed and I was in shock. He was alive and he was conscious. Joe was one of Foster Denny's climbing partners that day, and that was his personal reflection. You are listening to the Sharp End Podcast, and in this episode, I talk with Foster Denny about his big fall in El Portrero Chico, Mexico. Sit back, relax, and please enjoy. Improve your communication at the mountains. Get yourself a pair of Rocky Talkies. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. Rocky Talkie also donates $2 per radio to volunteer search and rescue teams around the country. If you need a radio, check these out and make sure to use code SHARPEND at rockytalkie.com for 10% off their radios. Your purchase will also support this show. This show is also supported by MyMedic.com, the American Alpine Club, and Desert Mountain Medicine. My name is Foster Denny. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm 25. I'm a graphic designer. And this is my story about a a crazy experience in El Potrero, Chico, Mexico. It's an amazing place. I've been there, I think, a total of six different times. And this uh, experience occurs on the fifth uh, time that I went to Potrero. It's it's uh, just a beautiful place, an awesome area to learn how to multi-pitch, I think, which is exactly where I learned to multi-pitch uh, with my friend Otto and Joe, which is where the story begins. We went down to Mexico for the first time to learn how to multi-pitch, and we taught ourselves how to multi-pitch. And within that week, we climbed time wave zero, which for people who don't know, that's like a 24 pitch uh, climb. That's pretty notorious down there. And it's awesome. The hardest pitch is like a 12 a, and I'm pretty sure we got the slowest ascent. <laughs> like we, we hold that record. It was like a 30 hour excursion. It was pretty miserable, but awesome. And what that did really was ingrained this expectation for us to always strive for something epic or somewhat out of our comfort zone. 
whenever we go on a big climbing trip together. And that's exactly what Time Wave was for us. It was this amazing experience. It was the most epic thing we had done up to that point. And then fast forward to our third Mexico trip, we end up wanting to summit the opposite side of the canyon. So Time Wave Zero is on the western side of the canyon. And this other climb called Devotion summits the eastern side of the canyon. And Devotion, uh, by grade standards, is a 511C, so it's easier in that respect than time wave and it's 15 pitches. So it's shorter and easier. So if you think about that, yeah, yeah. but it's actually the same amount of height or it's close to the same amount of height. So the routes are a lot more run out and this uh, route has, has this reputation of being a little run out um, and, and chossy, a bit of an adventure climb. Like in the description of the climb, it says, it's sustained climbing, provides a great challenge, even for the best of climbers. It follows a series of corners and dihedrals up the Ceboya buttress to the top of the ridge, passing along the way the Universal Siesta Cave, uh, where you can even catch a nap if need be. And you'll need two 70-meter ropes. So we thought, well, hey, you know, this seems like a pretty sweet route. Let's just do that. We wanted some adventure. We knew it was going to be something epic for us and hard. Uh, even though we didn't think it was going to be that bad. And so we ended up having trouble finding the route A. And then once we finally found it, we started late and ended up having to bail off the 10th pitch. There was just a move that was really tricky and the sun was going down. We thought, well, we're not really prepared for another 30-hour adventure like on time wave. So let's just go down and we'll get it another time. And so we came down a little defeated, egos shattered a bit, but you know, whatever we had fun. It was still a good time. And then fast forward to December, 2018, I had actually been in Nuevo Leon in Hidalgo, the town outside of El Potrero Chico for a few months. I think I'd been there since August of that year. And so I had been doing a lot of climbing there and, making Otto, Joe, and all of our friends really jealous. <laughs> uh, and I'd just been climbing and climbing, climbing, having a blast. And Otto, Joe, and like four others came down to visit visit me and, and my girlfriend at the time. Or she's still my girlfriend, actually. But uh, we're, we're down there. They come to visit. And our goal was to actually climb El Gigante, which is this other crazy tall behemoth out in Chihuahua, Mexico. But before we did that, we wanted to conquer our demons and climb Devotion, this climb that eluded us in the past. Second try, yeah. Right. So we're like, okay, it shouldn't be that bad. We know where it is now. We've climbed more than half of it once before. It should be a piece of cake, and it'll get us in that adventure climbing mindset because El Gigante is similar in that it's also somewhat of an adventure climb. It can be chossy at times, but it's also just a big sport climb, right? Like we've done a lot of sport multi-pitch up to this point. We're pretty comfortable with like our systems and everything. It was just the next thing for us. And so the day came, I believe it was the 26th of December, the day after Christmas, which there's, I guess, no other 
day to climb devotion than the day after Christmas. And so we went after it. We started out pretty well. We woke up on time and we hightailed it out to the, to the climb. The weather was great. It wasn't too hot. There were no clouds. So we knew it was going to get pretty hot in the middle of the day, but we were prepared. We, it wasn't our first rodeo in the Mexican sun. So it didn't really bother us. But the goal was to get to the top for the sunset. And so Otto takes the lead. The plan was for him to lead the first seven pitches and then swap leads after the seventh pitch and where I would take the lead. And Otto starts off really strong. He's crushing it. And he's sending every pitch. He's, you know, knocking off a couple rocks here and there. No big deal. But it definitely looks like an epic adventure for Otto as he's leading all these pitches. You know, he's struggling at times. And these are some pretty stout climbs for the for the grade. And, I, you know, I think that that statement in the description is pretty true, that it's a challenge for even the best of climbers. Because even though it was like 11, everything felt like either it had a very particular sequence to to do to be able to climb it or it was just actually really hard like personally I felt like maybe it was a bit sandbagged but Mm -hmm. regardless it was still pretty epic that Otto was like crushing it which gave me a lot of motivation to crush it as well and we made it to the seventh pitch and it's a big ledge it's like third class so we're just hanging out sitting down um enjoying our little snacks and juice boxes or whatever we had at the time and just having a little chat. We tend to have pretty deep, I guess you could say, wouldn't really call it deep, but we have these like existential uh, conversations every now and then, especially when we're multi-pitching together. And it was pretty coincidental that we ended up talking about like, oh, what if one of us died you know that day like what would we do and how that changed the course of our lives and stuff I don't really remember where the conversation went but it did happen which is is pretty weird um because what happens uh soon we had no idea was about to happen so I gear up to take the lead on pitch eight and the plan is to blink pitch eight and nine and then belay from pitch nine um, and up from there. So I start leading, I get up to the crux of pitch eight and it's really like tricky face crux and I don't read it right. And I fall and I get all upset, but then I'm like, whatever, I'll just enjoy it at this point. Like I've already ruined the sin train. So might as well just have fun. And so I figured it out. I got up past pitch eight and past the anchors and now I'm on pitch nine and pitch nine kind of teeters off the face of pitch eight into a dihedral corner ish system. And I got past the crux or what I thought was the crux of pitch nine into that dihedral system where it's just like this nice layback corner, pretty chill. Um, You know, a lot of it's still on your feet. I'm really comfortable at this point. Like everything, all this climbing right now is probably 
five seven, five eight at this point, like nothing that hard. And I'm standing on a small like outcropping, and I have both feet on it. I'm super comfortable. I could probably go no hands if I really wanted to. And I had my left hand on this big jug, and I'm looking for a right hand. And so I'm, I see this like this gap, and I'm like, oh, that looks like a nice big jug. I'm like, let's just use that. And so I place my right hand gently onto this onto this rock um, that I thought was a jug, and I hear this like deep kind of ripping sound, and I like immediately realized like oh shit like that is a rock and so I yelled rock and then quickly after that I realized that that's no rock that's a giant boulder that's like a mini cooper sized boulder that's headed straight towards my two best friends that are below me and so I immediately keep yelling rock and, and I just stand there and look down and, and just watch in horror as this giant boulder just starts, you know, accelerating towards my friends. And it rotates a little bit. And because it rotates, it actually hits the cliff and bounces and gives it a little bit of horizontal motion. And that al- allowed and kind of saved Otto and Joe's life because I had it not hit that cliff, it would have definitely hit Otto and Joe for sure would have killed both of them. And I would have been stranded up there. But what that rock also did besides saving Otto and Joe's life, when it hit the wall, it cut both of my ropes that I was attached to. And so by saving their lives, it then put my life in jeopardy. I didn't know that at the time when it hit the wall, I was just watching the rock and making sure it didn't hit Otto and Joe. And so it hit the cliff, then it hit the ledge, then it hit the valley floor, and there's just tons of smoke, or not smoke, but dust. And so I yelled down, like, are you okay? Are you okay? And then they yell back at me, like, we're okay. And so there's a bit of, like, relief, but not very much. I'm still... Yeah you're, probably, yeah, you're probably shaking and I mean, you almost yeah, witnessed I'm, both your friends being squished. Right. And so I'm panic gripping with my left hand and I'm pretty sure I have my right hand on something too. And I'm just breathing deeply. I, you know, I'm not really processing anything, not thinking really at all. I just had this feeling of like, I need to get off this rock as soon as possible. Like this is not good. I was like in full shock. And there's people in the valley. It was a really quiet day that day. And so everyone in the valley heard that happen. And this is um, this this climb is kind of off the beaten path. Like no one climbs it. We might have been the only party that had climbed Devotion since the first time we climbed it. Like it's it's rare to find anyone that has climbed it. We only knew one other person who had climbed it in the past. And so um, my girlfriend and our friend Michael were climbing on the opposite side of the valley and they heard the giant rock fall. And so they immediately knew it was us and that something terrible had happened. And so then they start freaking out and they like start repelling 
Um, and there's other people in the valley yelling at us, trying to see if we're okay. We're yelling back at them. And meanwhile, I'm still on the rock, you know, unknowingly free soloing. And Otto and Joe are like assessing their whole situation because they almost got crushed and they're like trying to figure out what's going on. Otto got hit in the back of the head with a small rock and he's bleeding. And, you know, they're a little flustered. And then they quickly realize like, oh, like our, the ropes have been cut. Like they started pulling all the rope to, to you know, tighten the system. And, it was you know, never getting tight. And it never tightened. And then they saw yeah. the, the frayed ends of the rope just slip through the oh, no. blade devices. And oh, it was no. like, whoa. And so then they immediately yelled at me like, hey, the ropes are cut. Go and direct. Explain go and direct. Like secure myself to a, an anchor point. Uh, or a piece of protection on the wall. So either like clip my harness to a quick draw or use a personal anchor system uh, to tether myself to um, like a bolt. Or if you're trad climbing, it could be like a, a P, like a cam or something. But mm-hmm. basically be independently secure on the rock. And I didn't hear any of that. I was breathing so heavily or I just shut off like my senses or something and in my mind I wanted to go and direct anyway so that was like kind of already in my mind but I had no idea that the ropes were cut so in my my head I was you know gingerly down climbing back to my last bolt that I had clipped and it was I was pretty calm in some ways like when I was down climbing back to that, because in the back of my mind, I knew like if I fall, I'm still on belay, even though I was like really shaky and panicked and my form was awful. I was, I still like felt some sense of security, which gave me the confidence to down climb to that bolt. Had I known that I, my ropes were cut, I wonder how different this experience would have been because had I fallen uh, from where I was originally, I'm not sure if I would have uh, been okay. And instead of just going in direct, I just let go of the quick draw thinking that, well, I, I say take, and then I let go of the quick draw thinking they'll pull up the slack. I won't fall very far. Like when you're done with a sport climb, you know, you clip the chains and you say, take, you pull up a little bit and then you let go and you fall a short distance and the system's tight, right? That's what I was thinking. But after I let go, I didn't stop falling. And I quickly realized that something's not right. And then I witnessed the ropes just whip right out of the bottom carabiner of the quick draw. And then I just started falling. And I immediately just assumed I was going to die because I was about 50 meters above the ledge. And it wasn't like a slope by any means, but it was a slab climb. Thankfully, I'm just immediately filled with fear. And there's not really any words that I can use to describe it. It was just like, I knew that death was coming for me and there's nothing I could do. I felt so helpless. And so all I could do is just scream and, 
and I, and I, and I fall and I rotate kind of like face first and I have my right hand out in front of me and I, my right hand like hits this small ledge and I kind of roll into my hand and flip and start rotating really fast and my glasses fly off my head. I hit another like small ledge, cheese grate a little bit and then free fall um, for what felt like a really long time. And I, I land in this small tree and like bush of cactus uh, on the ledge about 10 feet from Joe and Otto on the seventh pitch. When I landed, I, I landed face first. I remember with my hands kind of like folded in front of my chest and I landed like kind of on my hands and chest. And I just remember like smacking the ground and being like pretty motionless and still. And there's like just tons of blood on my hands. There's blood on my legs. My entire body's covered in cactus spines. My 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 right heel and ankle's in a ton of pain. And I just kind of like roll over towards my left laying on my back and just looking at my hands and I just start screaming because I didn't know what else to do. I was like pretty sure I was going to be like in a hospital for the next like six months or something. I was pretty sure that I wasn't going to be the same anymore. Uh, and I was just fear and pain and just like sadness all just coming out. And just a and just multiple screams for about like a minute or so, and finally I just stopped screaming. And Joe and Otto are just looking at me with their jaws wide open, like, "Whoa!" I can't you survived. Yeah, they're just like, "Oh my god!" They're like, you know, in one way like very shook, but also very happy that <laughs> I'm even yeah. capable of screaming. You know? Yeah. And so they do their quick little, they, you know, walk over to me and quickly like assess to the best of their ability. And, you know, there weren't any like bones sticking out. There was definitely some blood. I was definitely in pain. Um, but for the most part, like remarkably stable for what had just happened. And I was able to hold a conversation and we were just talking like, okay, like, what's our plan? Like, how do we, how do we get down? How do we get you like the medical attention that you need? And the helicopter shows up after about Otto and Joe measured the amount of rope they had left and they learned that there was enough rope to repel from the ledge if they needed. Foster was concerned about repelling because he still didn't know really how bad his injuries were at that time. And he feared doing more damage. Foster opted to call for a helicopter instead. Luckily, they had cell phone coverage. They called a local who then made the appropriate calls to dispatch a helicopter. And so the helicopter shows up. <laughs> Man, it was definitely a dinky little helicopter. And turns out this was their first helicopter rescue in the valley ever, um, which became really apparent to me in retrospect because <laughs> all they did was they just like lowered down this little like harness from like the sixties or something to like this small cable. And, um, that was it. And we were just kind of like left to like 
figure it out. There are no instructions or anything. And they whisked me off the wall. Uh, and that's when I had like the most beautiful 360 panoramic view of the valley and watched Joe and Otto kind of disappear on the rock. And they winched me up into the helicopter and landed in the middle of the valley. And then I was surrounded by this community of people, um, most of which I knew. It was like everyone I knew in the area and their cousin practically were like surrounding this helicopter, like trying to peek at like how mangled I was or just trying to see like how I was doing, trying to like, you know, make sure I was going to be okay, all that kind of stuff. And it was really weird, like having all these people like stare at you as you're not really sure what's going to happen next. When Foster was in the hospital, he learned that he had a small hairline fracture on one of his ribs, bruised a lung, sprained an ankle and a wrist, and had various other bruises and scrapes. But that was it. No other major injuries. So tell me about the learnings. What did you learn from this incident? Well, I have quite a few learnings, actually. Um, Well, one would be you never know when something terrible will happen. Right? Like, it's never very obvious and telegraphed. Something like that is never expected, uh, which is good to know uh, whenever you participate in anything that might be inherently dangerous, just so that you're you're ready and like that that is a possibility. Um, and it does happen, right? Uh, the second one would be buy travel insurance, actually. So I had bought travel insurance. And I had my helmet on, which probably prevented a skull fracture. The third uh, takeaway would be, like, have a satellite phone. Because if we had been somewhere without cell reception, we would have been in a much worse situation. Or have wilderness um, uh, emergency training, right? Like, be able to take care of someone who is having an emergency out in the woods. Like, n- neither Joe, Otto, or nor I had any wilderness training you know one other thing was like that climb wasn't really supposed to be something that intense for us um it was a grade well within our ability um it was on rock that we were comfortable climbing on it didn't have any pg-13 or x or r rated ratings associated with it in fact there's like tons of climbs in the valley that have like X ratings or whatever. And this one didn't, right? So we thought, okay, well, yeah, a couple of loose rocks here and there. Like it's not our first time in Potrero. Like you kind of have to be on your toes whenever you're climbing there anyway. Even when you don't expect it or you're doing something that is within your ability, things can still go wrong. So, you know, and then I guess that also means that ratings are subjective and that they're not always true. Uh, so don't, don't blindly trust people's ratings on climbs and that you can always climb it and reflect and have a different opinion. Uh, you know, uh, even though I fell and almost died uh, and thankfully came out okay, I would say continue uh, to do what you love. Uh, I still climb to this day and, and I think that that fall only helped me realize that I, I do in fact love climbing. Thank you, Foster, for being on the show and sharing your lessons with our outdoor community. 
Thank you to Rocky Talkie, My Medic, Desert Bound Medicine, and the American Alpine Club for believing in my passion project. If you appreciate my show, please sign up to be a Patreon member today. This show is not free to produce, and I can use all the help that I can get to sustain this podcast and get these stories out to you to minimize future outdoor accidents. My medic began after a tragic automobile accident. Lack of equipment and training led to a family member bleeding out as they waited for EMS to arrive. My medic's goal is to prepare everyone with equipment and training for the unexpected emergency. My medic is assembled in the U.S., covered by a lifetime guarantee and the most visited first aid website in the world. Having access to proper first aid equipment is essential for anyone, whether you're building a house or just driving your car. Always have quick access to proper first aid supplies. Each kit is packed with life-saving tools that are easily accessible. These bags are also super tough and functional, perfect for any activity. I prefer my medic first aid because they look great, have a ton of features, and are packed with a bunch of essential supplies. Get your first aid kit today at mymedic.com and take 20% off with code SHARPEND20. Desert Mount Medicine offers an array of courses ranging from wilderness first aid to wilderness first responder. Whether you are a backcountry enthusiast or a guide, DMM has you covered. Take 10% off any DMM course through October by using code DMMWILDMED10. To learn more and sign up, visit DesertMountMedicine.com. Are you ready? Introducing membership 2.0 from the American Alpine Club. Starting at just $45 a year, we've reimagined the membership experience to better serve you wherever you may be in your climbing journey. We're the largest community of rock scaling misfits in the country, and you belong here. Visit AmericanAlpineClub.org to learn more and join today. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.